Welcome, friends, to the Earl Dex Pokemon Podcast, a podcast that asks, if this Pokemon were real, where might I find it in the real world? What would its moveset and ability be in the wild? Does its data even make sense? I am your host, Geo, and in answering these questions, we'll be discussing the real-life plants, animals, myths, legends, people, things, and even foods that inspired the Pokemon we know and love. It should be noted that we will be using data coming from the core series of games almost exclusively, venturing into the anime, spin-off games, or manga only when absolutely necessary to fill in some blanks, if at all. For our eighth episode, we'll be whipping up an appetite as we discuss numbers 868 and 869 in the Pokedex, Milsery, and Alchemy. There is an established tradition of food-based Pokémon that arguably began with Farfetch'd and Execute in Generation 1, the first of which fights with Leek Stalks, and was hunted into near extinction because it tastes so good, and the latter being a sentient half-dozen of eggs. But food-based Pokémon truly gained infamy in Generation 5 with the debut of Vanillite, an ice cream cone Pokémon. While Vanillite generated a lot of backlash at the time that Game Freak or Nintendo had run out of ideas, not only has this proved not to be the case with some truly wonderful designs in Generation 6 and onwards, but Vanillite also heralded the arrival of several more explicitly food-based Pokémon, like Milsery and Alchemy. Since Generation 1, there have also been several new evolution methods introduced, with Milsery and Alchemy having one of the strangest, and perhaps most fun, evolution methods. Milsery, the Cream Pokémon. This Pokémon was born from sweet-smelling particles in the air. They say that any patisserie visited by Milsery is guaranteed success and good fortune. Its body is made of cream. As our first Pokémon with Pokédex data from only a single regional dex, there is understandably little information on the cute little dollop. But there's no getting around that unlike Vanillish or other food-based Pokémon that merely look like popular dishes, Milsery is literally made of cream, and seems to have originally formed from sweet-smelling particles in the air. While technically, this could have happened in any part of the world, there isn't a place that smells nearly so sweet as a bakery, or more specifically, a patisserie, which is a French or Belgian bakery that specializes in pastries and sweets. Of course, the Dex goes on to say that a visit from Milsery signals success and good fortune to patisseries. Reading between the lines, it seems possible that this would be less about patisseries being favored by good fortune from the visiting Milsery, and more that the air is so saturated with sweets that the conditions for Milsery to spontaneously form are favorable. One wonders then, if Milsery hatched from Pokémon eggs are progressively less or more sweet through each successive generation. After all, Milsery's body is, again, literally made of cream. Would it be possible to breed sweeter Milsery than could possibly be formed naturally? As a seemingly entirely man-made Pokémon, Milsery isn't overly burdened by real-world implications, leaving the mechanics and practicalities of its existence almost entirely to our collective imaginations. Despite Milsery's nebulous biological situation, 
We of course have the same few practical points of data we have for any other Pokemon. Milseri is only 8 inches 20 centimeters tall, and weighs 0.7 pounds 0.3 kilograms, so there's enough Milseri to fill about half a cup, perfect for use in many baking recipes. Milseri are also uniformly female, meaning that essentially any breeding pair involving Milseri or its evolution Alchemy will result in a Milseri, since Pokemon eggs always contain the same species as the mother. After that, the only thing left to say is that Milseri has a very peculiar method of evolution. While holding or not holding a sweet, it must be spun at a certain time of day. The sweet held, the direction spun, the length of time spun, and the time of day this is done all have an effect on which form of alchemy Milseri will evolve into. Alchemy, the cream Pokemon. When it trusts a trainer, it will treat them to berries it's decorated with cream. When Alchemy is content, the cream it secretes from its hand becomes sweeter and richer. While Alchemy has 63 different forms sorted into 9 categories with their own dex entries, it is clear by those entries that only one form can be thought of as the true form of Alchemy, the vanilla cream form. It is there where we get essentially all the information we presently have on Alchemy, which is that Alchemy isn't just made of cream and sweets, it continues to produce more sweets. An Alchemy that trusts its trainer will produce berries decorated in what would appear to be its own cream, and the happier the Alchemy is, the sweeter and richer the cream is that it secretes from its hands. While Alchemy is clearly nothing like any biological creature that exists in real life, it is fairly clear that Alchemy has a symbiotic relationship with humans even if we were never to capture and train them as Pokemon companions. We provide them with safety and security, and they provide us with sweets. While having constant access to a steady supply of sweets sounds appealing, I personally have a hard time getting past the part where it's secreted by a creature that is literally a living dessert. Alchemy does gain a bit of mass during evolution, as it shoots up to a whopping 1 foot, 0.3 meters tall, and weighs in at a hefty 1.1 pound, or half a kilogram. With such a small stature, it's good to know that an Alchemy producing sweets for its trainer could only produce so much given its size, or else we'd have an epidemic of problematically plump Pokemon trainers on our hands. However, Alchemy isn't content to have 63 different forms, it is also native to the Galar region, home of the Gigantamax phenomenon. Gigantamax Alchemy Cream pours endlessly from this Pokémon's body. The cream stiffens when compressed by an impact. A harder impact results in harder cream. It launches swarms of missiles, each made of cream and loaded with 100,000 kilocalories. Get hit by one of these, and your head will swim. Gigantamax Alchemy is a diabetic's nightmare. Almost pure sugary cake stacked 98 feet 30 meters high, which is almost exactly the same height as the Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. However, we do get one new bit of information from its Gigantamax dex entry. 
While Gigantamax Alchemy looks like a giant wedding cake, it still never stops producing cream, and is able to use that cream as a weapon. 100,000 kilocalories of cream sounds like a lot, and spoiler alert, it is. In fact, that number is positively mind-boggling and nearly impossible to put into context, but I'll try anyway. The average recommended caloric intake is roughly 2,000 calories daily. However, in one of the most incredible displays of eating prowess, Joey Chestnut ate 68 hot dogs in 10 minutes in 2012 at Nathan's famous 4th of July International Eating Contest. That works out to roughly 20,000 calories. That is a lot of food most people couldn't eat in a day, maybe even a week, let alone a single 10-minute sitting. But Gigantamax Alchemy's cream missiles are still five times more calories than that. Each. The equivalent of 340 hot dogs. If you ask me, getting hit by a bag of 340 hot dogs in the head would do more than just make your head swim. It might take it clean off. Alright, so between Milsery, Alchemy, and Gigantamax Alchemy, we have three basic influences to track. Cream for Milsery, Whipped Cream for Alchemy, and Wedding Cake for Gigantamax Alchemy. I should say, however, that for the first time, where their real-world parallels originate from will have no bearing on where we could find Milsery or Alchemy in real life. Because Milsery's dex entry tells us how Milsery originally came into being, we can easily say that Milsery and Alchemy are native to any part of the world in which you would find a bakery with enough sweets to saturate the air, making them our first truly global Pokémon. If there is one thing humanity has in common, it's a sweet tooth. It really is difficult to track down the first instance of most traditional sweets simply because we've been doing it for so long, and cream is no exception. In fact, it is widely believed that cream came around pretty much as soon as we got around to domesticating cows in the Neolithic era. By about 8500 BCE, the cow was being domesticated for its milk, its meat, and its ability to pull a plow. Since then, we know that cultures as varied as the Celts, the Vikings, the Egyptians, and of course, the various peoples of medieval Europe through the present day, enjoyed various dairy products, including cream. It should be noted that cream can also be produced from whey, though besides having a lower fat content, whey cream is saltier, tangier, and has a more distinct cheese-like taste to it. While milk cream may be sweeter by comparison to whey cream, it wouldn't be until the 15th century that sugar became readily available in Europe, though still very expensive. Pastries, candied fruit, and sugar sculptures began to be made during this time, and potentially also sugar-sweetened cream closer to what we might expect to see today. Of course, availability of sugar at exorbitant prices meant that really the only persons who could have saturated the air with sweets were the bakers of the nobility, and indeed, King Louis XIV's celebrations were the stuff of legends in this regard, with the banquet at Chateau de Chantilly in April of 1671 being a banquet of his special magnificence. Even if it was the unfortunate site upon which the famed chef and major domo, Francois Vettel, would ultimately take his own life. More on him in a moment. 
But to finally reach a point in which we can say definitively that the bakery, and more specifically the patisserie, could truly saturate the air with the smell of sweets, we have to move ahead to the aftermath of the French Revolution. Following the fall of the French monarchy, the new bourgeoisie that replaced them of course wanted a taste of the finer things, which of course included sweets and pastries. Fortunately, the revolution had also abolished artisanal and merchant guilds, thus opening up the market and allowing any chef to sell any product they chose. This is when the patisserie truly came into its own, roughly around the dawn of the 19th century as France began to industrialize. It is in this environment, when the patisseries led the way for Paris's famed café culture, tourism increased, and the accessibility to patisseries flourished, that we finally have our first hints at an environment in which the air might be so saturated with the smell of sweets and pastries that a milsery could conceivably spontaneously form. So while today, with the easy availability of everything needed for a pastry shop, milsery could pop up just about anywhere you might find a baker, the first milsery is likely to have formed somewhere in the heart of 19th century France. Milsery's body being made entirely of cream, and the method by which milsery evolves into alchemy, being spun around for a certain length of time, would heavily imply that alchemy is very specifically based on whipped cream, which it certainly resembles very strongly. Francois Vatel, the 17th century chef we alluded to earlier at the banquet of King Louis XIV, is often erroneously credited with the invention of whipped cream, which he called creme chantilly. While this was certainly one of the many names for whipped cream at the time, especially in France, this is an easily disprovable claim, as there are surviving recipes for what is today known as whipped cream a full century earlier. Sources from England, Italy, and Belgium all contain recipes for snow cream in the 16th century, suggesting that it was already quite popular across Europe before Monsieur Vatel could ever have thrown his first banquet. Once again, we find that unpacking the convoluted history of the wedding cake is every bit as difficult as discerning the origins of any other sweet food. However, if you've been feeling odd about how much we've been talking about France in relation to a Pokemon from Galar, a region roughly analogous to the British Isles, allow Gigantamax Alchemy to put you at ease. While various kinds of baked goods we could call wedding cake have been eaten as far back as the ancient Greeks, it wasn't until the 17th century that two pastries called a bride cake and a groom cake became commonplace in Yorkshire. Of course, as we noted earlier, it wouldn't be until the 19th century that sugar would become cheap and abundant enough to make it a staple among the commons. In fact, food historians seem to agree that the modern wedding cake's true coming out party was at the wedding of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert in 1840, which featured the purest of white icing, henceforth known as royal icing. It measured nine feet in circumference and featured sculptures of Britannia looking upon the royal couple's marriage vows among various other fanciful bits of imagery. This popularized the familiar tiered wedding cake we know today, and they've only gotten more ridiculous and varied since then. When the recently departed Queen Elizabeth II married Prince Philip in 1947, the official wedding cake was nine feet tall and weighed over 500 pounds. Given that, 
we can only imagine how incredibly heavy Gigantamax Alchemy must be. Milcery and Alchemy may be by far the least aggressive Pokémon we've encountered on this program. And to really illustrate that they are lovers, not fighters, only 3 out of the 13 moves they can learn naturally actually deal any direct damage at all. And because there's so little information on the pair, as we only have dex info from the Galar region to look through, we also have precious little context. Still, we have plenty of information on sweets and a couple of key pieces of information that can help us string together a moveset for Milcery and Alchemy, starting with their abilities. Our options are Sweet Veil and Aroma Veil, and it is no contest here. Not only is Aroma Veil less thematically appropriate for our Sweet Pastry Pokémon, but protecting its allies from attacks that limit their move choices, like Taunt, Imprison, or Disable, isn't especially useful. Sweet Veil prevents Milcery, Alchemy, and any ally Pokémon from falling asleep, and if you've ever tried to sleep in a home where someone's baking, you'll know how hard it is to sleep with the promise of pastries in the air. And now it's time to put our limited understanding of the Cream Pokémon to the test. We know very little about Milcery. It forms from sweet-smelling particles in the air, its body is made of cream, and a visit from it guarantees success and good fortune. That's pretty much it. Milcery also isn't a typical wild Pokémon. It wouldn't be found in fields and forests, mountains and vales. It's found in bakeries and patisseries. All that is to say that Milcery is not overly burdened by the need to defend itself from danger, hunt or forage for food, or protect its young. Bearing that in mind, I would contend that a wild Milcery that has spontaneously formed in a patisserie and has no trainer would have no need of any offensive capabilities. To that end, I believe Milcery's moveset would be Aromatic Mist, which raises the special defense of all ally Pokémon by one stage, Sweet Scent, which lowers the evasion of all opponents by one stage, Aromatherapy, which cures all allies of status conditions such as Sleep, Poison, Paralysis, Freeze, or Burns, and Recover. Since, as a sentient blob of cream, it seems likely that it'll lose a few droplets of itself here and there. This moveset consists of producing various pleasant scents and a bit of self-preservation just for good measure. But it also establishes Milcery as very much a support Pokémon that is willing to help its allies in any way other than attacking. Given that Alchemy's dex entries aren't much more exciting than Milcery's, there continues to be no reason for a wild Alchemy to learn offensive attacks. In fact, the main reason to evolve Milcery into Alchemy seems to be in order to get it to secrete cream from its hands that could be used in baking. With that in mind, Alchemy's moveset will change a bit, but don't expect Alchemy to be firing any laser beams anytime soon. Recover seems like a must for Alchemy, since, just like Milcery, it's made of cream, and sure to lose bits of itself anywhere it goes. Sweet Scent is also a safe bet, since Alchemy has only gotten sweeter upon evolution. However, we'll be learning two new moves upon evolution, Decorate and Entrainment. Entrainment changes an opponent's ability to the users. Given that Alchemy's ability is Sweet Veil, this essentially means that hanging out with Alchemy for too long will make you smell sweet as well. And if you've ever worked in any kind of food service, you know that food smell doesn't leave you easily. Decorate 
is also an incredibly powerful move that raises the attack and special attack of the target by two stages. Decorate, of course, builds on Alchemy's habit of gifting trainers, or in this case, Pokemon, with frosted berries. So now that we've talked about baked goods and sweets for entirely too long, let's see what the Earldex has to say about Milcery and Alchemy in real life. Milcery, the cream Pokemon. Though they are frequently associated with French and Belgian patisseries, Milcery can spontaneously form in sufficiently sweet-smelling air around any bakery, regardless of location. They are so docile that even wild Milcery are happy to stay in the bakeries where they formed to help ensure their bakeries' continued success. Alchemy, the cream Pokemon. There have been 63 different forms of Alchemy discovered so far, as bakers have learned of Milcery's peculiar evolution method. Many Milcery are evolved as quickly as possible, so that Alchemy can provide them with fresh sweet cream and frosted berries. Sweet! With that, we have concluded our exploration of sweet creams and pastries, as well as milcery and alchemy. 18 down, at least 910 to go. On that note, with the release of Pokemon Scarlet and Violet next week, and the American Thanksgiving holiday coming up the week after, not to mention the start of the World Cup, this podcast is going to be taking a two-week hiatus to not just enjoy a new game, a holiday with family, and a global sporting event, but to allow time for more information about Paldean Pokemon to come out. A large portion of our show hinges on Pokedex data, and surprisingly, that still hasn't been leaked at the time of writing. So while I had wanted to have our first Paldean Pokemon entry out on the day of launch, I'd rather give us all two weeks to play the game ourselves and come back with an up-to-the-minute episode, rather than put out an episode that would become immediately outdated if any of the potential leaks were wrong. So on that note, thank you so much for listening. I have been your host, Geo, and two weeks from now, we celebrate a new generation of Pokemon as we venture into the Paldean region to discuss three completely new Pokemon, Fuecoco and whatever its evolutions turn out to be called. See you then! <laughs>